0: medical department only to go to the bench and we are more than a dozen. We're still fighting for this title. <laughs> I will love it if we beat them. Love it.
1: You don't train, you only recover. That's the that's a situation. We can get we can get our doctors back there to help us.
0: We have to need to wear the fittest, the strongest, most powerful except when we get out there we can put on a good short. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments.
1: Today we're still outside Liverpool and we're going to the first part of the medical test.
0: Important to be on the bench. For some, for others it's more important what they do behind the scenes. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance Association podcast. I'm Andrew Shafiq. A doctor in Newcastle and your host for today's FMPA podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined by Vincent Gautabarge. Vincent is the Chief Medical Officer of the World Players Union FIFPRO and Assistant Professor at the Academic Medical Center of Amsterdam. He is also leader of the Drake Football Study. Thank you for joining us Vincent.
1: You're welcome, it's a pleasure to be on board.
0: It's great to have you. Um, With the recent launch of the Drake football study recently in London in October 2019, um, I thought this would be a a good place to start to discuss a little bit about the study and your involvement to date with it.
1: Well, obviously, the study has uh, the following uh, objective is to monitor the health of professional footballer over at least 10 years. Um, and we strive to uh, include and recruit uh, players when they are approximately 26-27 years old, assuming that they are going to retire from professional football when they are 31-32, so we have five years of measurements uh, during their career, and then we are going to follow up uh, with this player once they are retired, uh, after the 31-32 years old, uh, for five years, so we have actually uh, one decade of measurement Um, including the period around retirement from professional football. Uh, The assessment that we are going to to do are quite diverse and they are related to four main health and safety uh, domains. Obviously we are going to look at the musculoskeletal system, at the brain, at the heart uh, and at the psychological aspect of the the player. So it's quite um, complex, it's also challenging and uh, we did start with the recruitment of participants uh, at the start of 2020, at the start of this year, in January. Uh, and unfortunately, because of uh, COVID-19, uh, we did uh, stop the recruitment by uh, mid-March, approximately, because uh, yeah, the timing wasn't uh, the, the good one in order to continue to recruit. And a lot of our union were very busy with other stuff, And many of the players had other things uh, in mind. Um, but in the first um, two months we did uh, secure approximately 50 players uh, which is a good start but uh, we are not there yet because we want to reach uh, at least uh, a group of uh, 200 uh, players that we want to follow for 10 years, Um, so we are going to uh, resume the recruitment of uh, participants um, after the summer And um, we have different strategy in order to increase uh, the number of participants by by next season. Um, Obviously, we are perhaps going to attract uh, players from other countries, than the countries that were at the start involved. And we are also uh, exploring the possibility to recruit a female professional footballer, which was at at the start not the case because we only focused male professional footballer uh, just for financial reason, uh, namely we had or I had secure enough grant uh, for such a study in in male football and I was exploring the possibility to do the same in female football. Uh, it was not successful a couple of months ago and it has been successful uh, recently. So now i can um, I can say that we are going to start recruiting female female professional footballer as well by uh, by the start of the next season.
0: That's great. And and you touched there upon COVID-19 and the study looking at, at the brain and mental health. I was just wondering whether you could tell us a little bit about kind of the, the stressors affecting mental health in players, especially during this time period, based on your experience and the work that you've done.
1: Well, obviously, mental health symptoms refer to this uh, adverse uh, thoughts or feeling of behavior uh, that are likely to impair the, the functioning of, uh, of people, of players, uh, either in daily life, work and... Uh, in sport, and uh, there is different stressors that are likely to induce mental health symptoms in uh, in professional footballers. You have generic stressors that are available for the all general population. Think about the environmental and social environment uh, aspect of uh, within the players, the pet personality trait as well, and the adverse life event. And you obviously have some uh, football-specific stressor, the so sport-specific stressor. Uh, different categories can be found and obviously the personal issues and uh, uh, performance issues are the most relevant for, uh, for professional footballers or so, a uh, sustainable uh, period of time with a decrease of performances is of course a, a trigger or can be a trigger. Uh, the severe musculoskeletal injury and related surgery can be of course a trigger, especially when uh, a player is not able to train and compete for many weeks or, or, or many months. Uh, concussion is, of course, uh, a trigger for with the acute phase of uh, mood disturbance that can be associated with a concussion. Um, and we also have the, the transitioning out of professional football, uh, which is, of course, uh, relevant for professional footballer, but uh, elite athletes from um, other sport disciplines. So there, there is a, this dynamic interaction of uh, sport-specific and generic stressors that are uh, likely to induce mental health symptoms among, uh, among our players. Uh, but of course, uh, the pandemic, the uh, COVID-19 emergency period uh, has been challenging for the whole population and also for, uh, for the player. Uh, why? Because we don't know anything about this virus. Uh, we have we haven't been affected uh, in the past uh, with such a pandemic um, and uh, there were a lot of measures that has been taken on governmental um, um, level, uh, public health measures uh, that were quite uh, tricky for everyone. Isolation, social isolation, uh, not able to go outside, not able to have the social contacts with your family, your friends, uh, obviously um, not having The possibility to go to the club and have uh, your regular training, uh, competition, the uncertainty about uh, when competition um, is going to resume and whether it will be resumed, the uncertainty for the future as well, um, because many of our players, as you uh, might know, uh, have one or two year contract, that means that they hope at the end of a season to uh, to, to perform very well in order to uh, to earn another contract and, and secure their um, longevity in, in the professional football industry and yeah well when uh, no training non competition uh, occur then obviously there is a very huge uncertainty for the future uh, of a player within the, in- the industry so it was a very very delicate uh, period for uh, for uh, for everyone and especially for the football industry. And actually, it was one of the reasons why uh, at mid-March, when we were assuming uh, that uh, our player might be more likely to report mental health symptoms than even before, we did conduct an observational uh, study, a cross-sectional study, uh, that was conducted in the last week of March and the first week of April, in order to explore the extent of anxiety and depressive symptoms in male and female professional footballers. And we did compare the figure that we collected by a figure that we have collected before the start of the COVID-19 emergency period, because we are monitoring the mental health of players continuously since uh, more than one year. So we had some very good data uh, collected in male and female professional footballer, and this data was collected in December and in January. So we had a very good comparison. What we saw which is not a surprise it's uh, actually the the prevalence of anxiety and depressive uh, symptoms during the COVID-19 emergency period was double by comparison to the prevalence uh, found in December and January which is according to our expectation and uh, I'm sure according to the prevalence in general population Uh, but I'm sure that it's the only or one of the only uh, empirical study that has been uh, conducted during this uh, sensible period of time.
0: That's great. And it's it's great that you mentioned, obviously, the the, the strong epidemiological comparison between COVID-19 uh, symptoms of depression compared to prior, especially saying that they've doubled during this period, which is no surprise. How would you say are good ways to recognize and manage these stressors, especially during the current time, kind of pointers for healthcare practitioners working in and professional football?
1: Well, obviously you need to be a little bit uh, educated about the the, the feelings and the thoughts and the action, the behavior, but also the physical change that are associated with uh, mental health symptoms. Um, Because uh, mental health symptoms refer to these four main categories. Uh, So physical change when um, eating disorders occur, it's an obvious one to, to observe. Uh, action can be uh, uh, anger, uh, that you can observe a little bit more than before, you need to uh, um, obviously uh, ask the player how he or she feel in order to explore the, the thoughts and, and feeling of the player and, and make sure uh, obviously that, um, yeah, that you know well your athlete, your, your player, so that you can address any change in, in mood or in feelings or, or in thoughts, so it's, it's very important to be aware of that. Um, and um, actually the the work that I'm doing and I'm also uh, chairing the the IOC mental health working group um, and we have been working on um, recognition tools and assessment tools in order to identify athletes um, such as professional footballers likely to experience mental health problems or perhaps players who are already Experiences mental health problem. I cannot give a lot, a lot of details about these two uh, assessment and recognition tool because they are not under review uh, in the British Journal of Sport Medicine. But we hope those tools are going to be made available in the next uh, few weeks, um, and it will be made freely available to everyone. And of course, it's one recommendation that I would make: it to uh, to look at the tool and then uh, to um, try to apply the tool in order to make sure that you identified a player at risk for mental health symptoms. But knowing the key information that I just mentioned about the stressor that play a role in the occurrence of mental health symptoms, allow you uh, to uh, keep track with the player, to uh, perhaps be even more in touch with your player when he or she is out of the training, out of the competition, out of the team, uh, because it's a huge, huge isolment. it's a huge uh, stressor for any player and it doesn't matter whether you are out of your um, regular environment because of the COVID-19 emergency period or because of an injury or because perhaps uh, you have a family issues, Uh, doesn't matter the reason for that but they need to know which key stressor need to be monitored and uh, when um, when you need get in, in touch with your player uh, even more than before that means it's what i say to coaches when i talk to coaches uh, that tend to uh, forget you know an injured player and focus only on the on the fit group which is fair enough but i always say to to the coach that they need to to remain uh, kind of human and uh, even call the injured player every second day so stuff like that so that he or she does not have the uh, impression that he or she is forgotten and um, this is easy things to do that cost not a lot of energy, not a lot of time, but it's very significant for the uh, for the player that is likely to induce mental health symptoms.
0: Really interesting. And we've discussed there a few key points in regards to uh, current players. Um, however, earlier you mentioned about talk with players that are also retiring relating to the Drake football study. And with recent media release of Craig Bellamy and other professional f- Footballers talking about their treatment and their time with mental health. What? How do you think medical and performance staff can can help retiring footballers?
1: Well, uh, one thing is uh, that uh, a player needs to be aware that um, the best job that they have is obviously to be a professional footballer, but this will not last forever. And as I mentioned before, we know from the data that we have that players tend to. to retire when they are 31, 32, so that means that you have to bridge a gap of 30 years until your regular age of retirement, depending on the country, 60, 65, and that means you will need to find another challenge and a second career. And if you are not preparing yourself uh, early enough in order to make this transition uh, quite supple, then obviously you are going to uh, to have some problems uh, mentally, but of course uh, physical as well. Um, So the key message uh, that needs to be given to the player, um, either whether it's from a union perspective or from a performance staff perspective, is that player needs to um, develop an identity next to the identity of professional footballer and needs to develop some skills, uh, needs to gather some knowledge and education so that they can uh, prepare themselves for the second career. Uh, And if a player come to the staff and said, Oh, I want to follow this course or this education that might be tricky with some uh, training regime, some schedule. I hope that coaches and staff uh, will not be reluctant um, to uh, allow the player uh, to follow the, the course or particular education, but will be of course uh, supportive to do so because it's very important for the uh, long term health of player and the quality of life. Um, so, yeah, preparation is key and uh, developing an identity next to the identity uh, to be a professional footballer is very important.
0: That's great. And lastly, I just thought um, we slightly talk about the uh, one of the talks that was at the Drake Football Study launch in London in October, about the concept of an exit health examination for retiring footballers. Would you be able to touch on that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, this is uh, one of the main ambition I had when I stopped with my uh, with my career and uh, when I heard my colleagues struggling here and there, physically or, or mentally. And uh, when I look at the scientific uh, data, we had some evidence about mental health aspects that occur uh, post-career, or some indication about the, the physical uh, condition that, uh, that might occur, uh, namely osteoarthritis. But we, don't, we didn't have a large large body of evidence, so the first thing that uh, I did with, with, with our team in Amsterdam and at FIFPRO is obviously to conduct uh, empirical study about the extent of mental and physical health problem post career, and once we had um, gathered the scientific evidence, obviously we strive to develop such an after-career consultation. the after-career consultation is um, tailor-made to the player, but has a focus on five main uh, domain, uh, which is the training, uh, namely when you are used to train twice a day and then you switch. From one day to another to a sedentary lifestyle, uh, how can you uh, bridge the gap progressively in order to remain perhaps uh, uh, physically active and in, uh, in a good health. So detraining is one of the main uh, domain. Uh, mental health uh, symptoms is, is an obvious one. Uh, osteoarthritis also a, a huge one because we know that approximately one out of three retired professional footballer is struggling with either hip knee or ankle, or osteoarthritis and related uh, joint pain and impairment, um, so it's a, it's a one, uh, healthy lifestyle, nutrition, uh, sleep, um, alcohol uh, use is also one, and education was the last uh, domain that we uh, put uh, center within uh, the after-career consultation, and uh, once we have developed that, which is uh, Uh, first a kind of education uh, uh, part, then you have the consultation, which is one hour with a sport medicine physician and then you have subsequently advice, if needed, depending on the findings, Um, then we strongly believe that uh, this uh, approach is likely to um, increase um, the health of the player and promote and protect the health of the player on the long term when he or she retired from uh, professional football and uh, we did uh, conduct a pilot project of such an after-career consultation here in Netherlands. And I'm very happy to state that uh, a few days ago we agreed with the um, Dutch uh, Football Federation as well, as well as with the Dutch uh, Union to um, offer this after-career consultation to the Dutch player uh, for free uh, in the next year uh, as a standard um, medical exams. So it's a very nice step and I hope that many countries will follow.
0: That's great. And I think that follows on nicely from the talk Dr. Sean Carmody did at the Drake Football Study. And I look forward to hearing a bit further about that. Vincent, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, and for the listeners, I'll put up the links for the papers, and the articles and um, a little bit more information about some of the things that have been mentioned in today's podcast. You've been listening to the FMPA podcast. Have a great day.